Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Jesus was not a victim. He went to the cross knowingly and willingly. He embraced that pain and suffering and shame for the joy set before him, and you are the joy set before him. He wasn't a victim, he was a victor. The cross was not Satan's victory, though he thought it was. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Good Shepherd. We're in the 10th chapter of John, and we will take up today in verse 17 and complete the chapter. As Jesus is discussing the relationship between him and those who follow him, he drops a bomb on the Jews in the temple by declaring that I and my Father are one. Now, this renews their desires to kill Jesus, but his time had not yet come for that. So let's listen in. Well, therefore, he says, verse 17, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Third reference to the cross in these first 17 verses. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my father. Three things. Jesus was not a victim. He went to the cross knowingly and willingly. He embraced that pain and suffering and shame for the joy set before him. And you are the joy set before him. He wasn't a victim. He was a victor. The cross was not Satan's victory, though he thought it was. But three days later, he found out he was so wrong. It was a victory for Jesus and for us because his death, his blood shed, the life he gave, the death he died for our sins and in our place, it made possible our salvation. And so he wasn't a victim at all, nor was he, and I'm reading this and it's, it would be infuriating if I just didn't realize that the, the people saying it are ignorant and they're politicians, so it's a double, you know, whammy. But Jesus was not born a refugee. Did you read that or you hear that stuff? People are saying he was born a refugee. I'm what? He's an Israeli in Israel. He's a descendant of Abraham and of their greatest king until him, David. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Messiah had to be born there because that was where David was from. He is so connected to that land, the idea that he could be born in it and be a refugee in it, it absolutely makes no sense. That would be like saying you who were born an American are a refugee in America. No, you're not and you can't be. And neither was Jesus. The other thing that I'm hearing is that he was born into poverty. That's not true either. Jesus was adopted by Joseph, who was a carpenter. He had a trade. He worked. He provided for Mary. He provided for Jesus. And, and they're like, yes, but he was born in the manger. That's because the town was crowded because everybody had to go to what? The place of their ancestral birth. 
And so it's like he has to go to Bethlehem, which proves he's not a refugee. And he's born in a manger because there wouldn't have been room in the hotel for all those angels and all those people anyway. But, but get this, when the wise men come, even though our, you know, those little scenes on the mantle, I don't have one, but, but I do like them. And, and uh, you know, the, the little scene where you've got the, the shepherds and you've got the angels and then you've got baby Jesus and, and they've got the animals. And, and uh, he, here's the thing, the wise men weren't there. We always stick them there because otherwise you've got to create a second scene. But when they come to see Jesus, they're in a rented house already. Refugees in a town where they have no resources without any money, they don't rent a house. So the point is, and the reason I'm even sharing it with you, is so many people will hear those things and they'll repeat them as if that's all true. And I want to encourage you to do two things. Carry this book. It's a Bible. It's a tiny Bible, but it's one Bud calls it a buck knife Bible. I don't even know what a buck knife is. I know what setting a pick in basketball is and, and uh, you know, but, but, but here's, here's, here's what you need to know. When people tell you something that you absolutely know isn't true, you could actually, if you had one of these with you, say, well, look, there's only two chapters, actually three chapters in all that deal with the Christmas story. You can read that part or say, hey, you got a few minutes, let me show you why that's not true. And, and meekly, humbly, respectfully, just say, you know, I heard that too. And, and I double checked my Bible and it turns out that's not true. And, and if they're like, well, wait a minute, how do you know? Show them in the Bible, have it with you, open it because his words, alive and powerful. And your words, they just sound like your opinions, like everyone else. And you can't convince people by going into old King James and lowering your voice and thus says the Lord, because then they'll just think you're weirder than they already think you are. So the point I'm making is don't let people hear a lie and then repeat the lie in your presence. Say, hey, whoa, wait a minute. Do it calmly and gently and respectfully, but do it. Because once people realize that what they're hearing isn't true, they might decide to, well, read the Bible. And, and I would encourage you to, you know, we give these away to every person who gives their life to the Lord. Now don't fake give your life to the Lord today to get a free Bible, because clearly that would be wrong. But I do want to say, we can order these by the case and give them to you at cost. And if you're interested in all at giving out Bibles, I can't imagine a better gift. And if you're like, well, we just missed Christmas, so we blew that. There's more stuff coming up. Give them it as a New Year's gift. Give them one as a birthday gift. Just give them one as, hey, welcome to the neighborhood gift. You know, we have so many new people in our neighborhood part in part because of the fires and in part because people saw an opportunity to sell and, and you know, and many have, but, but everybody needs a Bible. And how different would Chico be if we sort of set our sights on, let's just make sure everybody gets a Bible. Wouldn't be that costly if we all engaged in it. And if you're interested and organized, some of you are like me, very interested, 
but not organized. If you're interested in organized and will want to play a part in maybe putting something together, you know, it's not that big a city. We could divide it up and we could, could say, hey, I'll take this, this is my area, my neighborhood. But we should think about doing practical things like that because his word changes lives. And they just think, well, your word, that's your opinion. Not if it's coming from his word. Anyway, talk to me or Pastor Bud or Pastor Dick or Pastor Jacob or any of them say, hey, that whole idea about giving Bibles, I'd like to talk more about that. And we'll try to figure out a way to get together and do just that. Well, the father loves me again because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. It's not just the crucifixion, it's the resurrection. And we'll get to see all that soon. Therefore, verse 19, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. Many said, and I don't know how you come to these kind of conclusions, not you, but them. He has a demon and he's mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Hard to imagine how anyone could come to the conclusion, he must be working for Satan. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies, pray for them, do good to them. How would Satan, who wants to destroy and steal and kill, or his ambassadors, I mistakenly called them minions last service and I instantly felt bad because my grandkids love those little minions. And uh, the demons aren't minions, they're Satan's followers, fallen angels. If you've never read or heard the screw tape letters, highly recommended some great insights from a great theologian and a great storyteller, a great writer. Screw tape letters, check it out. Well, it was the Feast of Dedication, verse 22, in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. We know the Feast of Dedication by another name, it's Hanukkah. And this feast was not one of the yearly feasts that was written into their their law and their calendar back in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy and such. No, this is a feast that comes about about 150 years prior to Jesus' birth. And what had happened is a Greek commander, Antiochus IV, had come and destroyed much of Jerusalem. And he had defiled the temple of God, slaying a pig on the altar, spreading the blood all over the place. He did so many horrific things. But God raised up this family called the Maccabees. And a guy named Judas Maccabees loved, led the charge. And I like that he redeems the name Judas. But uh, but anyway, he leads the charge and, and they go in and they take out the enemies. They take them on and they take them out. They cleanse the temple. They restore it to its former glory. They reopen it, dedicating it. That's the Feast of Hanukkah. Now, if you've been to Israel with us and if you were there during Hanukkah and some of you were, somehow at some point they added donuts to it. I doubt that those were in the original but I got to say, it's a really wonderful addition. And you go into these places, rooms almost as big as this, and there's just miles of donuts. And you're like, this is the greatest celebration ever. I, 
I don't even eat donuts. I, years can go by without them, but at Hanukkah, don't you feel obligated to eat those donuts? And burnt if you, they run out. So anyway, th this is that feast that's important. Why? Early in his ministry, Jesus cleansed the temple physically. Late in his ministry, he'll cleanse the temple physically. But right here, he's cleansing it of its greatest, greatest problem. And that's the unfaithful, ungodly shepherds who were leading people away and astray, just as he warned they would. Well, the Jews say in verse 24, they surround him and said, how long will you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I'm kind of surprised by this, just even though I've read it and I know it's coming because he, he does miracles and they ask for a sign. He tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And they're like, well, who are you again? He's declaring who he is. He's doing things no one else can do. Prophesied in advance to know that this is the Messiah. But they're not really getting it. They're saying, tell us plainly. Jesus answered and says, I told you. And you do not believe the works I do in my father's name. They bear witness of me. And here's their problem. Not that they couldn't believe, but they chosen not to believe. They wouldn't believe. He says, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, I would never be able to say that to someone. I know people who are Christians who are clearly living a lifestyle that a Christian shouldn't live. I will never tell them they're not a child of God. I will tell them, or you if necessary, that, that this lifestyle is incompatible with serving and representing the Lord, that this lifestyle is self-destructive and, and it's deceiving you. You're deceived and, and you're convinced of a lie and the truth will set you free. So we're not in a position to say this one's a Christian and this one isn't. This person's going to heaven and this person's going to hell. Only Jesus can do that. But we can say, unless you repent of that sin, he says you're never going to inherit the kingdom of God. And we can say to the one who's fearful and like, even if I repent, he won't forgive me. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed. You were sanctified, justified. Listen, we need to be able first to know it and then to share it. Well, last weekend services before the new year, perfect time for a little self-evaluation self quiz. He says, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. So that's the first test. Do you hear his voice? And he says, I know them and they follow me. Well, he knows if he knows us, but do we hear his voice? And are we following him, walking in obedience by faith in him, walking in his footsteps? He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. You should be absolutely sure and secure that you have the free gift of everlasting life and it will never be taken from you. 
Neither, he says, shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I love this because he's saying, you're in my hand, and you're in the Father's hand, and I picture them kind of just, you know, Maybe they're bouncing us around a little or something fun, but, but we are secure in their hands. Not going to let go of us, not going to drop us or cast us off. He promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Well, after hearing all this, the Jews, and it means those religious leaders who opposed him and oppressed those who believed in him. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Clearly didn't learn the lesson last time. You can't stone him because he didn't come to die by stoning. He was headed to the cross. It wasn't the time, it wasn't the way, and it isn't the people. Jesus answered, many good works I've shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? It's a reasonable question. Their answer, the Jews answer saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you being a man make yourself God. Listen, they were right. He was a man but he was also God. He didn't make himself God. He was always God. He became a man, but he didn't stop being God. And so he deals with those twin heresies of he's not a man if he's God and can't be God if he's a man. No, he was and is both. And so he, they're saying you make yourself out to be God. You're elevating yourself as if you were God. I and the Father are one. He told them clearly. They call that blasphemy. And if he wasn't right, it would have been. But that's basically what he's dealing with here. Jesus answered and said to them, verse 34, citing a passage again they should have been familiar with. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Small g, by the way, not the true and living God, but representatives of gods in his place, like Moses represents God and as the prophets who were faithful represented God. He called them gods, little gods, but they weren't gods like him. But if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the father sanctified and sent into the world, you're blaspheming? Because I said, I am the son of God. Listen, he's just pointing out the word's been used before and it's in the scriptures. Why are you tripping that I'm like, hey, I'm his son, the one and only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth we read earlier. If I do not do the works of my father, verse 37, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him. Another vain and foolish attempt, but he escaped out of their hand. 
And he went away beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. And many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there, rejected by the religious establishment in Jerusalem. Not all of them, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, others will come along. But, but now he goes up where John had been baptizing and people embrace him and believe in him and trust in him. The things John said about this man are true. What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Before we pray, a word from Paul, a word from Peter. They both exhort spiritual leaders they shared with to be faithful shepherds. In Acts 20, 25, the apostle Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders. He knows he'll never see him again. And he says so. But he tells them that, well, I'll read it to you. Acts 20, 26, I'll start. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For this I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Listen, I know he's speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church. I know he's speaking to those who are mature and spiritual leaders here at Calvary Chico, but he's also speaking to every parent. He's speaking to every family because the flock of God. Listen, if you're a big brother to someone in the Lord, and, and because of when we came to the Lord and how we came to the Lord, people were coming to the Lord and then leading others to the Lord. And, and they started, they immediately looked at us like, well, we should know something. So I'm like starting to study. Maybe I do need to know something. But my point is this, if you're six months along in this and somebody you know comes, you invite them or you lead them to the Lord, which there's no greater experience than, than seeing someone Go from darkness to light and death to life. Listen, if that happens, you're a big brother or a big sister in the Lord. And, and all you have to be able to do is say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do need to know what you know. And you need to be willing and able to share it clearly with them. First Peter 5, 1 Peter 5.1 Peter says to the elders among you, I exhort, I am a fellow elder and witnesses of the suffering of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Listen, the elders, the olders, the mature group that gathers, 
We're to be examples to the flock, but we also read that the young are to be examples to the believers in word and deed and, and faith and purity and holiness and such. So it isn't all about age, it's about, well, where you are with Jesus and where they are with Jesus and your example and your commitment to him and to them. Lord, thank you. Pastor Sam mentioned that while the enemy may have thought that he had victory when Jesus was crucified, it was Jesus that had victory and it was you and I that had victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58 tell us, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Nope, our labors will never be in vain in the Lord. Our sins will not keep us from glory. For those who are in Christ, it is the labor of the enemy, his efforts to keep them enslaved in sin. Those are the labors that are in vain. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.